go here we talking to Mr. Matthew Hollister, holler for dollars Walk out of that occupation, gotta go Sorry for stepping, getting my next illustration Making it, taking it from the east to the west Fresh, perform to the city Take a sip of Seattle's best rest I digress, I gotta be blessed to make audio After cars in the studio It's balling on Broadway, so let's stick it like scotch tape And watch the clutch dissipate like the vapors rise. Uh, you, you wanna start it, Rich? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't want you to start it. I'll start it. Okay, so uh, I am Tim. My name's Rich. This is the Design Clutch, and today we have Matthew Hollister. Matt Hollister. Okay, do you go by Matthew or Matt? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, to my uh, sort of friends and family, I go by Matt, and uh, I try and keep my name Matthew in publications, but usually everyone just calls me Matt. Yeah. Okay. So our, our, I think we're close enough. We can call you Matt. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, we are definitely friends and coworkers. All right. And if, if, we, if we have to get formal about anything, then we'll go to Matthew, but we'll keep it with Matt to start. <laughs> if you need to scold me, just go to Matthew. Matthew? That was, yeah, my mom would pull out the Timothy only when I was in trouble. That was, that was really only the only time I ever heard it. Yeah. But not on the website and on the podcast, we'll be sure to put your professional full name as Matt. Right. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Links awesome. to your stuff will will definitely include your your whole your whole name. Um, so, one of the interesting things about you is that you don't have a terribly large internet footprint other than your work, if that makes sense, right? Right. Like, like I tried to dig a little bit, and there's you know there, there's, I mean you 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 have your social channels and the things you do, but you don't necessarily like like some people. You know, it's like, oh, here's the LinkedIn file and here's all this history. And then here's some things they published. Uh, so so my inkling is that you came from the East Coast originally. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in a very small town called Honesdale, Pennsylvania. Um, it is in the sort of very northeast corner of Pennsylvania. Um, the closest place nearby that anyone would have heard of is Scranton. And that that's about an hour, 45 minutes southwest of where I grew up. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the middle of, of nowhere, but it's just beautiful farmland, and uh, yeah, it was a pretty, it's a beautiful place. Uh, it's just not close to anything. Wow. And, and you, you grew up there, did you, like, through high school, or how long were you up there? Yeah, I, I was born there and uh, stayed there all through high school. Um, and then left for college. Yeah, I moved to Brooklyn, New York to go to Pratt Institute in 1998. I, I definitely loved going there. And uh, it was an enormous culture shock at first. I mean, when I grew up, um, there weren't even really paved roads. Like we had a gravel driveway <laughs> and lived on kind of a dirt road. Uh, not dirt, but like a, a gravel road, I guess you would call it. And then, yeah, uh, our neighbors across the street were cows, and then I moved from there to Brooklyn, New York, which was the opposite of that. Wow! So were you were there like Mennonites or Amish or, or those kind of guys up in your hood? Or um, there was uh, one family, and they were Mennonite, um, but the large population of 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 uh, Amish and Mennonite in Pennsylvania is much further south and more central, but. Um, that, yeah, there was one Mennonite family and I could, they had a large farm and they were probably less than a mile away and they had this pie stand at the base of their driveway and I would ride my bike there and, uh, the pie stand had all these coolers just filled with all these 
treats that they made and vegetables from the farm. And it was on the honor system. You left money in a can on the honor system. But for some reason, I don't know what it is about me. Every time I went as a kid, someone from the house would come down and make sure I paid, which I always did. <laughs> they would always come and check on me. And now to make it even more infuriating, whenever I go back and visit, I always make sure to go back to this pie stand and they still always come down and it's the same girl. Like they, they didn't go to public school and, but I mean, I've, I've been seeing the same girl since I was probably 10 years old. And every time I go back now, I'm like, do you remember me? I've been coming here my whole life. I lived up the road and she refuses to recognize me or like <laughs> even mention that she's seen my face before. And, and it just drives me up the wall. And she keeps checking to make sure you're paying. She's really suspicious of you. Is that? Uh, well, now, now I go with my wife and baby, and I don't think she's suspicious. But I do think that she has some sort of issue now. Now they've started to sort of post their religious beliefs on the pie stand, and one of the things is that everyone should dress. Um, I'm not even sure of the word, but they 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 feel that if a woman is wearing shorts or non long sleeves, it's it's like a, a sin of some sort. So immodest. Yeah, yeah, it's not modest enough. So huh. I think when we went last summer, she came down to kind of rush us along. My wife was not dressed modestly. She was wearing short sleeves on a hot summer day. So how dare she? I know it was, it was a bad look. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, yeah, there there was a very small presence. I had an idea of what that was, but. So was was art a part of your childhood? Did you feel like when you were young you you were you you would you had a, a talent for drawing? Like what was it something that you enjoyed uh, doing? You know, I don't know if I had a talent for it immediately, but I was certainly encouraged from a very early age by both my parents. Um my mom was a school teacher and was very interested in showing me illustrated books constantly and just talking to me about them all the time and uh, my dad worked at this place. It was called More Business Forms, and it was in the days of, uh, you know, when you would get printer paper and it would be in a box and every sheet was connected and it had the sort of punched holes on the sides. Yeah, with the, the slight green. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he worked at this place and it was, they would get huge reams of paper and that's where they, they would cut it and fold it and punch the holes at this place he worked at. And so every Friday or maybe twice a month or something, he would bring back a box of of paper that was maybe folded incorrectly. It was just like stuff they were going to throw away. He would just bring it home. So after a few years of this, I had this enormous closet of paper. I mean, it took me, even after he stopped working there, it, it probably took me four or five years to go through it, like all of high school. And... Um, they were they weren't in to let me watch TV. I never had video games. They would just go get your paper and like they would watch the news and I would just be drawing and drawing and drawing and yeah, I was just super into it. I, I wonder now all the time if I was ever good at it to to start or if I just did it because they were excited about it and they encouraged me and then it just turned into something I got good at. Hmm. Yeah, whether it was sort of yeah, nature versus nurture, or talent versus work, or right, yeah, right, yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I'm assuming it's probably a combination of all those things. So, right. I don't view myself as someone that was just born gifted. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so, so when you went to Pratt, you're you're in, immersed in this completely different culture. What are some of the things that you 
that, that you learned there that you apply to what you do today? Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, wow. You know, I think a lot about uh, the sort of big basic rules that I was taught in my first year. Um, for and, and not necessarily in a way that they were exactly meant. Like, I, I think always about in those first figure drawing classes, you know, your first step in, in drawing a figure from a model is you sort of pick the biggest line you can find and draw that. And then you, you sort of map the rest of the drawing off of that one big shape that you could find, right? So um, that, that sort of methodology is something that I apply to most projects now. Um, whether it's an editorial project or a series of icons or something like I try and find the biggest directive that's necessary in the project and get that established and then work through details and stuff as that, as that becomes developed, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's cool. Did you think you'd be a, like when you went to, to college, did you think you'd be a painter? Did you think you'd be a, a graphic designer? Did you know what your, your path was going to be? Uh, I, I went to school as a freshman with a major in illustration. I was very interested in, in just illustration. Yeah. I mean, I, I had interest in animation and things like that, but really, um, I went there wanting to learn how to get images into the, the sort of public into magazines and advertisements and just the world. So I went there thinking about illustration and following through, which is pretty rare, I think. So, so what was the bridge from being at Pratt to working as an illustrator? Did you have like interim jobs before you, you pushed off on your own or did you kind of begin with that in mind? And did you Uh, stick around in Brooklyn after you graduated? I did. I, I stayed in Brooklyn for 12 years total. Uh, I moved out here to Seattle with my wife in 2010. Um, but uh, to get back to your question, Tim, that that it was a really long bridge. It took a long time for me to, to start getting work and to especially to, to, to be able to work on my own uh, full time. So uh, the first the first job I got out of school was um, doing tech packs for women's handbags for like a Walmart manufacturer which was absolutely just awful. Um, <laughs> the, the pay was great because I was young and absolutely broke. And like for the first month of the job, I was, I was like eating a banana for lunch and paying for the subway with change that I found, which it was just, things were, things were dark. <laughs> um, but the good thing was that I, I didn't, I couldn't afford a computer. I didn't have a computer at this place. They were using Adobe Illustrator. So I went in and even though I was just drawing handbags, I was learning Illustrator, which is, was a huge, huge step forward. Um, so yeah, I did that for about a year and saved a bunch of money, which was really nice and bought a computer and, uh, took a trip to Japan with my friends and then quit. And uh, I ended up taking a, an internship at this place called the Drawing Center. Um, I was just pretty burnt out on the purse job. I didn't, I had no interest in sort of uh, 
moving up the chain there or that industry at all. And was definitely interested in getting my own work going, but was kind of, I don't know. It's odd. I, I was really, I felt like I got a great illustration education at Pratt and then I got out into the world and was kind of overtaken and confused on how to get started, even though I had been taught pretty well on how to do that. It was, uh, I don't know. I think I was probably just young and unsure of myself and excited about a whole bunch of things at once, I guess. Right. Um, so I took this internship at the drawing center and it was, um, a lot of like learning how to pack a painting, learning how to hang stuff. It was all, it was just like museum physical work and it was really fun. And I met a lot of incredible artists there. And while I was there, I started to get, um, some spot illustration jobs from a newspaper in Toronto that was called Dose. And I remember they, they paid $60 a spot. And if I got an email that they wanted one, I would leave this job immediately and go home and do this job for $60. <laughs> um, but it was good. It, it like got me used to doing work on a tight deadline and coming up with sketches. It was like some very real world experience, even though the, the money wasn't anything. Um, and then after I did some spots, I got to do some color work for them and then a full page and a cover and a spread. Like I got like the full gamut of, of experience there. And then from there, I sort of, I mean, I had some other jobs uh, from the drawing center. I worked at a, at like a real deal art handling place, which was pretty awesome. Uh, this place called Box Art, where they would sort of pack paintings. We would go places and take down shows and pack them. Or one day, like my first day, actually, we went to like a an art storage warehouse in Queens and our job for the day, we walked into this room and there were like, <laughs> it was like Matisse's last 15 paintings or something were in this room. And our job was to lay them down and then replace the hooks on the back and pack them up. It was just amazing. Wow. Yeah. There were just some really, really amazing uh, experiences at, in this art handling place. Um, and while I was there on a day off or something, I would, you know, I was like dropping my portfolio off all over New York at the Village Voice, um, Rolling Stone, like all these places where you're, you know, uh, the New York Times book review, the New York Times op-ed page, and nothing was, I was getting no work at all. Um, but I, I finally went and I made an appointment to see... Uh, Brian Ray, who was art directing the New York Times op-ed page at the time to sort of, instead of just dropping my book off, I thought I'd go up and talk to him and show him my portfolio, which was, you know, I had a couple published pieces, but it was mostly work from school or work I had made after school that was just personal work. Um, and it was all just drawings or, yeah, yeah, mostly drawings at the time, but I was also make I had this like, uh, sketchbook I was keeping that was all collages and it was totally different from the stuff I had published or the stuff I was I had been making so Brian Ray kind of went through my book and he was like yeah this this is nice if we ever need a drawing of anything we'll keep you in mind and he was definitely just you know patting me on the back but trying to get me out the door as well and I was like oh wait I have this other thing and I pulled out this 
collage book and he got really excited about the collage book. He was asking how fast I could make this stuff, and, you know, pretty fast. I just need to scan it, whatever. And then I got my first uh, New York Times op-ed job the next day. Wow. Yeah, it was super, super exciting. And again, it, like I had this job at BoxArt and I got a phone call. I must, yeah, I guess I had a cell phone at the time. And they're like, hey, we, we want you to do an illustration today. And again, I like left this job. Like I had health insurance at BoxArt. You know, they were super nice. They had brought me in and I was getting a good, making good money. And I just like went to my boss and I was like, I have to leave. I don't, I know I don't have any sick days. I'm going to clock out. I got to go do this op-ed job. And uh, they were actually really cool with it. And they were really cool with it every time it happened because every time it happened, I would just demand that I needed to leave, which is totally insane looking back on it. It's so unprofessional. It's super unprofessional, yeah. But <laughs> it's like I didn't even consider anything else. I just I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna do this illustration to like the, like I would have made more if I had stayed the day at Box Art than I would have doing the New York Times piece. And I was putting this job that was keeping me alive and healthy and everything in jeopardy to, to chase this thing. But I mean, I didn't even consider I was chasing it. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be an illustrator. These people want me to do an illustration. I have to go do this thing. I'm, I'm really lucky that it worked out or I would have just been the worst employee of all time. <laughs> but I think it says something to pursuing what kind of where your heart is, right? That, right. that I think that a lot of us after school, there's a time where we thrash around a little bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and yet I, I think that you're happiest when you find those places where, you know, like it's worth dropping whatever is there. I, I've heard it's funny because I know a much older illustrator uh, who um, has the same story. Uh, really? he was in, yeah, he was in New York. Um, and, and he was working at an art store and, and he was kind of, I mean, he's kind of an ass about it. He'd be like, I got to go by. And he'd, he'd go off, you know, whenever he got any chance to do any kind of, uh, real work. And, and then he'd come back. He's like, please give me my job back. It wasn't, they, they weren't quite as nice as box art, but it, but it's right. interesting that I've, I've heard that before. And it's, it's, uh, I, I love that it, it, it seems to be like following what's important and being able to build on that. And plus, come on, it's the New York freaking times. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, it made perfect sense then. And it still makes sense now thinking of how things have developed in my career. So yeah, I, I'm certainly glad I did it. And I'm super thankful to the, the people at box art for being cool about it. <laughs> did your work then, was it similar? I mean, it's, it's been very influential, right? <laughs> Did your work then have the same kind of simple, uh, clean, and yet smart use of texture quality to it? Or, or was it, it sounds like with the collage thing, I, I haven't seen some of your earlier work. So, so I'd be interested to know what it was like. You know, when I got out of school, I was mostly doing um, very linear, uh, sort of like blind contourish drawings, um, drawings of people and objects, which is, was not really helping me get work it wasn't really publish publishable it wasn't really digestible i think so it took me a while to kind of figure that out and allow myself to start to make things that were simpler things that were 
things that would lend themselves to content, to to concepts, to articles, to communicating. Um, I also started to realize that um, things that I made needed to look good large, but things also needed to look good very small. I started to look through, you know, I'm constantly going to Barnes and Noble at the time, looking at magazines, looking to see who who's using imagery and illustration and how are they using it? Um, what do things look like online? What do things look like in ads? And I was like, you know, none of these line drawings I'm doing are going to work at, at an inch by an inch. You know, they're, they're just, they look like a mess. So that's when I started using the cut paper. There was like a, uh, there's a limit I felt to, to the detail I could get into with just cutting paper and, and using that. So that's sort of, physical limit helped me to start simplifying things and making things that were much more identifiable. And it was also way more fun. I, I was always interested in, in these very uh, graphic, almost cartoonish images I had grown up with. Um, but something happened in art school where I was just very dedicated to this one way of drawing. And, and after a couple years, that sort of wore off. I realized it was okay to, to make the things that I thought were fun. Like, instead of things that were hard work. And that, that's when I started to make simpler graphics or uh, I just started to try and make stuff that, that would work in publication pretty much. And that's cool. yeah, that's how, that, that's how it worked out. So do you feel like this art director at the Times kind of nudged your style a little bit that, that he, he gave you, like you had this more experimental thing in your sketchbook and then your published work, and he's like, "I like the sketchbook stuff. Yeah. Go with that." Yeah, totally. It was like, "Oh, well, this, this, this totally works. I can understand what this is. This is something we can print." Um, and then, yeah, I started to run with that. Then it was like, "Oh, well, if I can do this with cut paper, you know, maybe I could make my shapes even better if I started making things in Illustrator." And then, as I got better at Illustrator, and starting to combine that with Photoshop, I thought, well, maybe I can scan these paper textures and then use them in the Illustrator file. Cause then I started, started getting a little bit more work and then people would want changes. So this is the other thing that changed my work a lot is someone saying like, we really like this. Uh, we want the red to be blue. So something like that, if I had made it with cut paper or drawn up by hand, it would have taken me a lot of time to sort of redo things. So I started to devise a plan of how I could make something, make an illustration and have it be very easy to edit because I, you know, the times is a very quick turnaround and some other work I was getting like the Boston globe or, uh, there was a paper in like a daily paper in DC at the time that I was doing some stuff for. And, they were all really quick turnarounds, so I needed to come up with a way to work that was just very manageable, where I could make quick changes um, and not not be pulling my hair out or going crazy. So uh, that's how I sort of developed mixing Illustrator and Photoshop to do that. Really cool, really cool. So, uh, so, so we're probably, I mean, as far as timeline, early two thousands at this point, or. Uh, yeah, at that point, yeah, probably 02, I would, or no, no, uh, yeah, it would be 04, probably. I graduated school in 2002. 
I probably did a year at handbags and another nine months at the drawing center or something, some time at box art. And then while I was at box art, um, <laughs> I don't know, this feels like it's a random story. While I was at box art, I took a road trip with some friends to Cincinnati to see this art show, beautiful losers. It was like this first big museum show of all these street artists. Yeah. And, um, a good friend of mine, Eric Elms, uh, was from, he's from San Diego and he was Shepard Ferry's first studio assistant when Shepard started working in San Diego. So Eric, Eric knew Shepard and he had interned for this guy, Brian Donnelly, who also goes by cause. He was a sort of, he was in this beautiful loser show. So we were out in Cincinnati and hanging out. We went to the show and it was just mind blowing. Uh, this huge Barry McGee installation, a huge Margaret Kilgallen installation, Steve Powers, uh, Shepard Ferry, Brian Donnelly cause, um, just a phenomenal show. And I had, we had through Eric, I had met this guy, Brian and, um, pleasant quiet guy and we talked a little bit but nothing nothing special and then um a few weeks later i was at lunch from box art and i went into this diner and brian was sitting there with eric and they said hey come sit and eat with us so i sat down and eat with them and they're asking me how things were at box art and i said yeah you know it's really good and fun and they let me leave whenever to do these new york times jobs <laughs> Brian Brian was like, well, I need an assistant. Would you be interested in coming to see my studio and possibly working for me? And I, was, I said, yeah, of course. So Wait, who is this? Is this Cause? It is, yeah, yeah, uh, Cause. Okay, cool. So do you have a background in graffiti or? Uh, yeah, I have a bit of a history. Okay, a you don't bit. need to get into it. <laughs> I just want, um, yeah, I was just wondering... Yeah how much of an influence it was and uh, it was a, it was a huge influence uh, all all the the work of those people in beautiful losers and and sort of um, yeah freight train graffiti and uh, hobo monikers all that stuff was a huge influence it's still something i'm interested in i just don't partake at all anymore um, so yeah i went to see brian's studio and yeah i agreed to become his assistant. So um, from probably end of 2004 to 2010, that's what I was doing. And again, working working for him, an amazing job. He was an amazing person to work with. And still, if the New York Times called or someone called, I would say, Brian, I got to go. And I would just get on my bike and go home. And he, he actually got frustrated after me doing this a few times and he, he finally said like if this happens you can't just leave like I'm paying you to be here and I said well I gotta do this stuff like I have to be able to do my work and he said you can just do it here which is like incredible so I would be working for him and if I got a call you know I would instead of taking my lunch I would like sit and work on my own stuff and he was totally cool about it which is I don't know it, it I don't see that happening anywhere else honestly no, that's amazing. Yeah, it was too good to be true, for sure. And where was so, this? Was this in Brooklyn still? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's in Brooklyn. Um, at the time, uh, we were working in his studio in Williamsburg. And I was living in downtown Brooklyn, so it was like a like a 
10 or 15 minute bike ride to work, which was pretty sweet. So we can edit out this whole question, but I'm curious, it sounds like the statute of limitations has probably passed. Can you <laughs> tell us what you used to write? Oh, I, I'm, I didn't write anything anyone's ever heard of. I used to write, oh, okay. I used to write knife. Um, and I would, uh, I painted in New York quite a bit and I traveled to Philadelphia and Baltimore and Pittsburgh quite often to paint trains. Cool. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I love, I love how trains are like these, the rolling canvas. Yeah, no, it's, but, but it's almost like the rolling message board, right? It, it's it, totally the wrong. Yeah. It's, it's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> The, and and there is sort of this and and and, and the rolling brag sheet right a little mm -hmm. bit of like you know uh, they they kind of roll around and yeah that's that's really cool I, I didn't know that at all about you so that's that I think yeah. that's fascinating well um, yeah there's there was a a sort of conflux of me getting more illustration work and me doing less and less graffiti so those two things kind of went hand in hand I started to realize like. I'm working and I'm spending all my money on paint and travel and I could be working at getting more work. So I'm going to try. Like it was that decision that sort of changed my career a bit. Right. And, and did you have a number of, of relatively steady repeat clients that would, that would call you back for illustration jobs? Uh, I had a few, I had less than a handful of, until I moved to Seattle, um, the New York times, I would still, I would work for pretty regularly and I would work for the op-ed section. I did a few pieces for the book review or the weekend review. Um, I was getting some op-ed work from the Boston globe and from the DC city paper. Uh, but that was it. And, um, you know, I was busy working for Brian, it was like a full day's work. And if I had any other jobs, I was either doing them at his place or trying to do them at night. Um, but I still didn't have a very, I, I wouldn't say I had my foot in the door as mm -hmm. far as being an illustrator. I was, I was, it was just some like side money at the time, you know? Uh -huh. That makes sense. Yeah. So what prompted your move to Seattle? You got married? No, uh, no. Well, um, my, my wife now, she was my girlfriend then. We were living together in New York, and we were both sort of interested in leaving New York. Uh, I loved my job and working for Brian, um, and I kind of knew that I loved it enough and enjoyed working with him so much that I would get pretty comfortable doing that for the rest of my life. I knew that I wouldn't ever really fully commit to my own career just because he was such a great boss and the work was so exciting and, and it was fun. Um, so how many, how many people were there at the time? It was just me. Okay. So, uh, and I think that was what was really nice about it there. He was having enormous success and we were making these huge paintings um, he was doing the products. He had a store in Tokyo at the time. So we were, we were, well, I, I say we, I mean, it was, it was his work. I was just there to help. Um, 
were d- designing uh, clothing lines and toys, and I was doing all the shipping for these orders, um, and sort of just running the studio, keeping it clean, <laughs> uh, which I don't know if you're leaving it up to me to keep things clean. It was it wasn't that clean. <laughs> um, but it was. Do you stay in touch with him? Uh, yeah, a bit. Uh, here and there, we'll we'll chat or text. Um, he's obviously extremely busy now. He has a much larger studio and uh, a whole staff of people. Um, hmm. And it's really awesome to see that. It's awesome to see the growth he's had and know where he was hoping things would go and how it's like far surpassed, which is, I'm just, he's just a great, great guy. And I, he's, he's an incredible artist as well. It, it seems like a, uh, a hallmark of, of your, your kind of employment history is that you have at times been a terrible employee, but managed <laughs> to keep good relations with all of your employers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> at this point, I could never have a job where I have to go in to a place and be around people. Like I, now that I've been like, well, yeah, five, almost six years on my own, like any, anything more than me in a room is like too much. I can't, I can't deal. So I think, I think, you know, I sort of kept scaling myself down right at the handbag job. It was like a full office full of people and I was probably not very pleasant to deal with the drawing center. It was like less people box art was, you know, I'd only deal with two or three people. Then I worked my way down to just working with Brian and then I moved to Seattle and stopped working with anyone. So I, I don't know. I'm like, I, you know, my wife Further tries to get me to bring yourself. her dog to the studio now, and I can, like, barely handle that, so. <laughs> That's awesome. So so would you consider yourself an introvert, then? You kind of like like having the time on your own? <laughs> you know, I never, I never considered myself an introvert until, yeah, the other day my wife just said it flat out, like, you're a total introvert. And I was like, oh, man, I, I guess I am, huh? I, yeah, I totally am at this point. I don't know if it, that was my nature, but that's that's how things have developed. And now that I'm in this sort of work cocoon all day, I and I'm getting older. I'm like used to what I like or what I'm doing, and yeah, I've I've become much much more introverted. Um, that that's cool. So so we we talked about like what what brought you to Seattle. So so what right, right. what happened there? Um, so yeah, we you know I I knew that I wanted to to start my own career and get things going. I knew I could do it. I just needed to sort of figure out how and how to get in touch with people and get a website up. And, and I felt like a big part of that was trying to get out of New York. So Melissa and I, she was excited to leave as well. Um, and we immediately thought, well, we're not going to move to my, we're not going to move to Honesdale one. That's out of the question. Um, she had grown up in Seattle, and I had been out here to visit her a bunch of times and enjoyed it. So we thought, well, we'll go, we'll take a trip out in the Northwest. We'll go see Portland, and we'll we'll spend some time in Seattle and see what we think. And so we did that, and I thought, man, I mean, I really enjoy Seattle. Your whole family is there. She she has a much, you know, a pretty large family here. Um, so yeah, we decided to move out here, and then. Um, we gave herself about six months to get ready to come out here. And she kept saying like, 
where are you going to apply for a job? Where, where do you think you want to work? You're not doing any research. You're not contacting anyone. And I said, I'm not getting a job. I'm moving to Seattle and I'm, I'm going to be an illustrator. I'm starting this. I'm going to make it happen. She was just like, what are you talking about? Like you're, you're getting like a few New York times jobs every other month or something like we're not going to be able to live off that. And I, I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just jump into this thing with both feet. I'm going to make it happen. And then also right around that time, maybe, maybe like a month before we moved, actually, I got contacted by an agent by uh, this guy, Joshua Gorchov, who runs an agency called the loud cloud. And, um, he was interested in adding me to his agency and I was fully, fully on board. Like he emailed me on a Friday asking if I was interested. And then by Saturday I was like emailing him asking why he hadn't sent the contract yet. It was like, I was like raring to go, you know, and the timing was perfect. So, uh, we moved out here and I set up a studio in this house we were renting and things were just kind of off and running. Uh, he immediately started getting me a lot of editorial work. Um, and I started doing some agency work as well. While I was in New York, I had been in contact with this place, Brand New School, fairly often about trying to work with them. Uh, but I had I was working at Brian's during the day, and they, they were running a situation where they would have illustrators come in for a day rate into the office, and I could never make it happen. So it was, I believe it was like the first week we were here, I booked like a full week of work with them. And yeah, things have just been going that way since. Plus, also, Seattle is one of the more beautiful cities in the world. Like, it's oh, just man. gorgeous. The yeah. lakes and the... <laughs> yeah. We moved out here, so we had been living in a one-bedroom apartment in, in Bed-Stuy. And we moved to Seattle, and we rented a large, I mean, a large two-bedroom home with a front and a backyard. And we had an unimpeded view of Lake Washington and Seward Park. And I remember like setting up for my first day at work thinking like, what have I been doing for the past 10 years? Like, why was <laughs> I living in Brooklyn, New York? And the house was cheaper than the apartment in New York. It was, my mind was blown. I was shocked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Awesome. Um, so when you work, uh, what is your, like, like, I'd like to ask a couple questions, but maybe first, what is your day like, like when when you go through normal day like is there like a you get up you do your coffee you do yoga you rub the dog you have a baby like like, yeah. like how, how, how do you run through a normal day i know they're all different but. yeah yeah they vary well they don't vary that much you know i i wake up um uh, our daughter wakes up around six so i go get her bring her in and she nurses we hang out um a few days a week i go to CrossFit at 6.30. So I'll go get a workout in. I'm usually home by 7.30, 7.45. Um, shower, coffee, breakfast, walk the dog. Um, kind of do as much as I can to help my wife get ready for the day. Um, and then I sort of pack my lunch and pack my bag. Uh, probably make some more coffee and drive to my studio, which is just, it's about five minutes from the house. Um, so I usually, I try to get here by nine o'clock. Um, when I was working at home, it was much easier. I would get 
a much earlier start. Uh, but now I, I don't really get here till nine. Uh, go through emails, um, reply to people, send back contracts, send out invoices, um, and then get to my day's work, whatever that is. Uh, and that, that's the part that varies quite a bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. As a, I've never, I've never been a full time freelancer myself. But part of it is being, is running a small business, right? That with your, yeah. with your yeah. contracts and your invoices and your, you know, just managing your time and and what you can take on. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's an interesting side of it. Yeah, and um, this 2015 uh, was my first year without my agent, so I really felt the the full effect of running the small business where I used to just work i used to just worry about the sketches and my work now it's it's a lot more scheduling and really making time for that small business side of things when you work with clients is there i i know everyone will do it slightly differently but is it generally you'll you'll say that they'll let's say it's an editorial piece like what's the process for that so an editorial piece i'll i'll probably get an email from an art director asking if I'm available and uh, what they have going. So just today I, I finished a piece this morning for the Wall Street Journal. So I got an email probably on Monday that said, hey, we have this piece. Here are the dimensions. Here's the schedule. Here's the fee. Attached is the piece. Let us know if you can take it. So I took it. I had sketches due Wednesday and a final due today. Um, so Wednesday I sent three sketches. That's my, my normal thing. I'll, I'll send three options for an editorial piece for the most part. And uh, I have a pretty good working relationship with this art director at the Wall Street Journal so that the decision making and the direction from the sketches was very direct and minimal and made, made for a pretty smooth process overall. So usually an assignment comes in, there's sketches, there's discussion about the sketches, there's edits to be made, and then a final. Okay, and I want to geek out a little bit. So when you sketch, do you sketch using like a tablet or do you just pencil sketch? Or <laughs> Well, I will. Um, there are two parts to it, I guess, in the way I work. And the first is uh, concepting, coming up with what the image is. And the way I do that is by determining what the article is actually about. So I will literally print out the article, which is, I don't know, I'm too old, I can't read things off of a screen. Uh, So I'll print the article out and I'll sit with my sketchbook. Uh, I'll read the article through and I'll try my hardest to not think of imagery. I'll just read the article. Then I'll read it again and sort of make notes, uh, underline things, highlight things. And then I'll sort of open my sketchbook and I'll start to make lists. Well, actually, before I make lists, I try and write a sentence. And I, I try, the first thing I do is I write a sentence about what I think the article is about. Ooh. And then from that sentence, I'll keep trying to write the same sentence shorter and shorter until I'm, I'm just like noun, verb, adjective, noun. And then I'll take those words and I'll start to make lists. Um, lists for what each of those words could be visually, right? And then from that list, I'll sort of mix and match those things, and then I'll start to 
I will draw a little bit by hand, but that's pretty much when I jump into Illustrator. Uh, it's just quicker, and I can I can use color, um, change colors pretty easily. But to get to the nerd part of it, um, I'm using Illustrator in a way where a tablet doesn't really work that well for me. Maybe I just never give myself time to learn the tablet, but I'm, it's weird. I'm drawing using the mouse a bit, but mostly key commands and like the Pathfinder tool. So I'll make shapes and align them and then use Pathfinder and make bigger shapes or minimize. It's, I have this odd, it's almost like I'm typing drawings, if that makes any sense. Hmm. No, I totally know what you're saying. I am. Um, that, that's how I began, and then I, I, I in about '99, I went over to the Wacom tablet, and I, I've kind of been, I've been stuck with that ever since. But, but I can totally see that that the you know the, the clicking and it's an interesting and way to, yeah, it's an interesting way to describe it. Though, yeah, typing illustrations. So yeah, no, cool. and, and it's it's very cool, and I really appreciate that touch on your process of yeah. building. Um, kind of building this library of words and and narrowing things down. I think a lot of young illustrators say, I like to draw, so I'm going to be an illustrator. Mm -hmm. And they, they don't necessarily think about the rigor behind doing a good illustration mm -hmm. and the work behind concepting and building a concept that's really going to effectively uh, enhance that story. Right, right. I agree. I think... I think the biggest mi misconception about being an illustrator is that you have to be a, a great draftsman or, or a great artist. I think your, your biggest, most important quality is being a communicator. Um, I think in, in our culture, in our society, there's, there's room for any type of uh, visual interpretation, any, any, any way you draw, any way you paint, any kind of image you make there's an audience for that. Whether or not you're communicating something that people can understand or interest people to continue reading or start reading something or make them think about the subject matter more in depth, that's where the actual skill in, in illustration lies, I think. That was really good audio. We're going to like take that, <laughs> take that little snippet out and sell it. We're gonna make a lot of money on it. Okay, great. <laughs> um, well, this this is awesome. So, so and and I've I've gone through a lot of the things that I wanted to to go over at, at a high level. Um, other questions, Rich, about process or about? Um, no, I, I guess I'm curious what your other influences have been, hmm. and what your other influences are now. Like, do you are there other artists or illustrators or, um, yeah, just people that you're into? Um, yeah, I mean, I keep, I, I keep a ton of books here in the studio. Um, most recently on my desk now I have, uh, the, um, art of the WPA book, uh, it's called posters for people about the, uh, all the amazing posters. Uh, Stuart Davis is someone I look at all the time. And I have this Sister Carita book here, who I'm a huge fan of. Um, illustrators, I mean, I, you know what? I think there's like a huge, um, I don't think people like to just list 
other names off, but I'm like, I'm a huge fan of David Plunkert, of uh, Raymond Raymond Biesinger, um, people that are, I don't know, I, I like illustrations that um, are graphic and maybe have a hint of like a printed texture. There are a lot of people doing stuff like that. I also look at like a ton of old um, stamp design, old like uh, Polish stamps or, um, hmm. let me look, I've got a Ali Exel book out here. Um, Miroslav Sasek I've been looking at a lot lately, trying to figure out how that, how that, all that beautiful stuff is made. Um, I think my my interests range all over the place from actual illustrators to um, art from from all <laughs> all different areas really. I've been really into architecture lately randomly. I'm not sure why. Um, what architects are you into? Oh man, I just I just got this uh, book for Christmas. Let me think. going to take me a minute to pull this guy's name up. Um, Olson Kundig. This guy oh, Olson yeah. Kundig. He's in Seattle. Yeah, he is in Seattle. And I, my wife and I were out like shopping for Christmas presents for our family members. And I came across this book of his projects. And I like, I just sat so, down in the store and spent like 45 minutes with it. So yeah, um, so Tom Kundig is it's, yeah, yeah. Um, the, it's Olson and Kundig. Right, but, um, right. Yeah, Tom Kundig is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I've been looking at that. Um, I don't know. It's it's really hard to narrow things down. I'm I'm like constantly looking. I feel like that's something I picked up through graffiti. Is like when you're when you're into graffiti and you're going down a street, you notice every little every little tag, every sticker, every, everything. So I think that's a quality that has kind of stuck with me every, you know, if we're driving through a neighborhood, I notice some weird sign or a graphic on a car or someone's bumper sticker or a sign or just, I'm, I'm just constantly noticing everything visual around me. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. What do you think about the idea that with, where the internet has brought our world. I've heard some people say it's like, oh, it's a golden age for illustrators. But I, and I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think maybe there's a glut of illustrators right now. But at the same time, I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts about kind of the world we live in and, and the illustration that is created right now? Well, I think uh, the, as far as the world we live in, I think... Um, I think it is a bit of a golden age for illustrators. I think uh, at the end of the 90s, going into the 2000s, there was this huge fear of the death of the magazine, the death of the newspaper, and how that would affect our industry. And while it has, I mean, budgets have dropped, and there is somewhat there is less work in those fields. Uh, the internet and other forms of media have opened up and created a sort of a, a brand new world of of work um and work that's used in different ways uh interactive work video work um all sorts of things so i'm i'm excited about the state of our 
of our world as it as it applies to the industry. Um, like, you can get paid to make an illustration for a Tumblr post or an Instagram post now, which is kind of crazy. Hmm. Um, and I think I don't know if I would consider it a glut of illustrators. I'm glad. I'm, I think it, I'm I'm excited that it's a viable option. Or, or people think it's a viable option, and I'm I'm excited that there are a lot of illustrators and a lot of people that want to do it. Uh, I don't really view any, I don't view it as a competitive thing. I don't I don't feel like I'm competing against other illustrators. Um, I feel like I I make the work that I make, and if people want that work, they'll contact me. I don't feel like anyone is taking anything from me by being around and I don't feel like my presence is taking anything from anyone else, especially with all these new avenues and venues. I mean, I feel like whatever niche interest you have in the world, I mean, there is, there is now a fully developed uh, space for that, whether it's on the internet or on your phone and, and with each of those fully developed arenas there's a need for illustration so like me personally i'm really into basketball and like guess what there are tons of websites and companies that are making work just for basketball and they use photos and they use illustration so um i i am i i believe the more the merrier as far as illustrators are concerned and and as far as technology and and uh, media, I'm, I'm glad that it's, I mean, it's always evolving and you never know what's around the corner, but I feel like right now it's, it's just continuing to grow. So I, I feel like those venues are just getting wider and wider. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's not a bad segue into basketball. So, um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, how did we miss that? Yeah, no, no, no. The basketball. We so, almost didn't ask you about the basketball. No, no, we, we definitely. I, I did want to ask a few questions about basketball. So, um, so my first question is: Did you did you ever play basketball? Was that something you did growing up? Or yeah, I've I've always played since I remember shooting hoops for the first time in nursery school. So I've been playing for probably over thirty years now. See, that's really cool. I'm kind of jealous because I didn't realize how cool basketball was until late in high school mm. and like after high school. And that's when I started playing. And I, st you know, maybe I saved my knees cause I'm like not right. super young anymore and I can still play every week. But, uh, but no, I, I've definitely always enjoyed playing. So, so tell me about the um, every player in the league uh, project, because yeah. the, for, for, I mean, just to give a little context here, here's what I know about it. You have done an illustration of every basketball player in the NBA, correct? Pretty close, yeah. Um, I, I did 385 illustrations, and it took a, a little over a year and a half to do it. Um, I had done a job for Portland Monthly, uh, and they wanted um, portraits of a few Blazers and a few, uh, and the coach and the GM and the president or something like that. And they said, we want it formatted in the frame of a basketball card. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So I, I did the assignment. It was, you know, probably five illustrations. And I was just talking to a friend in Brooklyn and he was like, you know, you should just do all the players. You should just make a full set of cards. 
And we just like, I was like, yeah, right. And we just kind of laughed it off. And then like a few days later, I was like, well, I mean, I could design a card and then it would just be a matter of like changing the colors of the card and then doing a portrait. And I've been wanting to work on portraits and that's something I'm interested in. And then I, I went on the NBA's website and they have like an alphabetical list of the entire league's roster. And I did one or two of them and I thought, this is pretty fun. Like, but there are a lot. And I thought, you know, I'll just set up this tumbler and I'll, I'll add to it. I'll try and do one a day. And yeah, it definitely, it took over my life for a while. <laughs> uh, I would do, uh, that would be like at the time when I was doing it, that was like the first thing I would do in the morning. I would wake up and have a coffee and draw a card and then like start my day. Um, so yeah, I made it through uh, the, well, see, since it took so long to do, the roster of the league changed pretty drastically. <laughs> so like by the time I finished the last letter Z name, uh, you know, probably like 20% of the players had changed teams. Some of the players are not in the league anymore. And there were like two new rookie classes, probably another, you know, 50 players or so. Um, but I just, I stopped after I made it A through Z. I figured that was my original goal. Um, I'm, I was pretty happy with it at that point and now it just, it just lives on Tumblr. Yeah, no. So it's every player in the league.tumblr.com, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, well, I, and, and you, you, um, I mean, I think it's kind of cool. You have a little bit of a niche there where you can, uh, where, where you've done a fair amount of basketball mm-hmm. illustration and, and that I would imagine that, that, that you have some people who having seen your other basketball work, they're like, Hey Matt, or no, they, they, they would say, Hey Matthew. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> let us, uh, you know, we, 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 we have a, we want to do something about, Kevin Durant, could you do that for us? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely something that is, that has worked out. And, you know, of course I looked like a crazy person to the people around me and to my wife, especially who was like, it's Sunday morning. Why are you drawing a basketball card? I'm like, no, this is, I'm developing something and this is going to lead to new work and just trust me. So yeah, it has it has led to some some basketball themed work, which is really enjoyable and a sort of new venue. It's good to like I like to have a mix of projects, so it's it's good to have a week where I'm doing some basketball portraits and a piece for the Wall Street Journal and all kinds of stuff. So it's helpful for that. Yeah, I think I think my favorite of of the basketball related work you've done is the Kobe head. Oh yeah, the the angry Kobe face. Yeah. <laughs> And it's isn't it? It's bright red or bright purple. I'm trying to remember. It's I, purple and yellow. Yeah, yeah it's purple, purple and yellow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think one of the things you capture there is that he kind of has a strange shaped head. Yeah, he's got like a very <laughs> narrow little mouth, which is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. No, it wor- it works beautifully. Um, that's cool. So so just the last little thing I want to go over is you talked a little bit about. Um, I really loved your response when talking about uh, illustrators and and more the merrier and and being very supportive. I've noticed in in Portland there is this culture of um, 
in the design illustration community, it's fairly supportive mm -hmm. so that one one freelancer has too much work to do. They say to their friend, hey, this company is calling. I'm pegged with my bandwidth right now. Can you take this project on? Mm -hmm. Is it similar in Seattle? Um, well, I don't really know many other illustrators in Seattle. I know... Uh, I'm, I know I'm friends with uh, Sasha Barr, who is a pretty well-known illustrator, but he works, he's uh, also the creative director slash art director at Sub Pop. So he isn't really taking on a lot of freelance work. Um, I would say, you know, that dynamic definitely exists in my world. It's just a, it's a network outside of Seattle. Uh, since I moved here when I was 30, it's a weird thing to move to a new city when you're a 30 year old guy. Um, it's kind of weird to make new friends. Uh, and when you work in a room by yourself, you don't really meet people through work. So, um, I, my network is people back in New York. Um, some people in the Bay, uh, yeah, just, or people I've never met actually internet friends. Right. <laughs> Right, right. No, I know how that is. And, yeah. and people you work with who, yeah, who you've never actually shook their hand. Right. Um, in addition there, like we, with every interview we've done, we try to get some picks for restaurants or if there are apps that you'd recommend or games, you've recommended some great books, some great illustrators, mm -hmm. some, uh, you know, some, some great street art uh, names to, to, to look over. But uh, but if there's anything like uh, local to Seattle in the Northwest that you'd recommend that we don't miss, what would you put on that list? Uh, so the first thing I would put on that list is this restaurant Maneki, which is uh, a sushi place in the International District. And it has the oldest sushi bar on the West Coast. Uh, oh, it's actually that, it's a place. How do you spell that? Uh, I believe it's M-A-N-E-K-A. Maneki. Yeah. Cool. Um, but also, like, uh, it's it's like a you would need a reservation for a table, but I would highly recommend just going into the bar and sitting at the bar because the uh, bartender is like an eighty-eight-year-old Japanese woman who doesn't speak a lot of English, and then most of the people in the bar are older and very drunk, and it is a really good time, and the food is incredible, and they pour like unconscionably large drinks there <laughs> that's great <laughs> so that is that is always my first recommendation for food in seattle um i would also highly recommend the ebbets field shop which is um if you don't know uh ebbets field it's all it's like a customized handmade clothing hats and shirts and coats and it it draws from like a vintage baseball paraphernalia so it's teams that don't exist anymore but they they make these incredible flannel jerseys and they they're it's all just handmade in the shop it's just incredible incredible beautiful stuff and the store itself is actually really phenomenal as well um ebbets how do you spell that e-b-b-e-t-s i feel like i'm just misspelling everything horribly right now but i'm pretty sure that's it it's okay. We'll go back in and edit it later. Yeah. We'll put the right, the correct spelling in for each. Yeah, that's right. I spelled it right. Ebbets Field. <laughs> e -B -B -E -T -S. Yeah. yeah. Ebbets Field flannel. So it's like hats and jerseys and just coats. Yeah, it's just great stuff. 
That's great. Yeah. Any any other things that we we shouldn't miss if we go to Seattle? Um. Hmm. Well, another place I would really recommend is Seward Park. It's the oldest forest in the city, and it's this little peninsula in the middle of Lake Washington, and it is just some dense forest. It's pretty great, and there's an incredible view of Mount Rainier, and you can swim at any point when it's warm enough in the summer, and it's definitely one of my favorite places, and it's in the south end. People come to Seattle, and they don't really venture to the south end very much, and it's, it's definitely a highlight for me. Yeah, it's funny. I probably go to Seattle three times, four times a year, and you've named three I don't know about, so I'm excited to check them all out. Nice. Oh, great. Well, hit me up when you come, and I'll take you to all three. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Anything else, Rich? I feel really good. No, I think it's good. This we is got some good stuff. Awesome. Very good. Thank you so awesome. much, Thank you, Matthew guys. Hollister. Uh, this has been Everything We'd Hoped For and More. Uh, and uh, best of luck in continuing to do amazing work that inspires us. Uh, and thanks for the time. Thank you guys. Thanks so much. It was great talking to you. All right. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. Explain is a design consultancy that harnesses the power of design to cultivate a better world. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Take care. Thanks. Bye.